0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, Very good morning to Squawk Box. These are your headlines. Wild swings on Wall Street. See the major markets raise big gains with the Nasdaq closing sharply lower despite positive momentum around Pfizer and BioNTech's fast-track vaccine candidate approval. JP Morgan, Citi and Wells Fargo kicking off the earnings season with focus on how heavily provisioned big lenders need to be to weather the pandemic crisis. A positive surprise for Chinese trade exports and imports rise in June, despite negative forecasts for both as the economy benefits from domestic and international lockdown easing. But Hong Kong Disneyland will reclose from tomorrow amid a rising cases across the territory as the government prepares to impose its strictest social distancing measures to date. Uh, very nice to see you all today. I uh, hope you're all well. Now these markets extraordinary move yesterday. Very interesting to see that we saw some really big gains five 550 550 point gains for the Dow, uh, but it, it raised later on. The round trip on the Dow in session was 595 points, and uh, the S and P, uh, which briefly touched up for the year, that's how close we were, uh, closed down 1%. But perhaps the most interesting thing for many of you uh, is the fact that the NASDAQ composite fell 2.1% as well. Stocks like Tesla, which we'll come to in a few moments time, having an extraordinary ride to the upside uh, and then closing in negative territory. Let me show you a little bit of the session, actually, if I show you the S&P and how that got on as well. So Out of the gate, pretty solid as well. Decent size gains. Then you can see new highs for the year uh, in terms of a year-to-date gain. And then a precipitous decline in the last three, four hours of trading as well. A lot of those uh, big investors who've been riding the momentum trade, uh, perhaps uh, abating uh, in their enthusiasm for the market rally. Let's have a look at the year-to-date moves, though. There's still some impressive numbers uh, over here. As you can see, 15.8% higher for the NASDAQ. One interesting stat I think I've got here for, yes. Eight out of 11 sectors are negative for the year. Eight out of 11 sectors are negative for the year. So you've got the NASDAQ up 16%, but eight of the other sectors are nowhere near uh, as a bullion. And that's shown really uh, in the fact that the Dow is down 8.6% percent year to As I say, the S&P uh, had that 2.5% plus Round trip in session. So Tesla was perhaps the most interesting in many ways. I I read a piece just now, and I I, apologize to the publishers. It wasn't CNBC, but it says something like uh, hundreds, if not thousands of Robinhood investors uh, per hour uh, are are getting into this stock. Well, if they got into it at the wrong level yesterday, uh, quite a tough ride for some of those investors. So we were up 16% at one stage, 16%. So you had a 20%, all right, 19% call me a a sinner for that. A 19% round trip in session on one stock as well. That's a hell of a lot of money. I hope you've got that money to put on these markets because it's not always a one-way track. This one trading at such a huge multiple. Of course, people are comparing it uh, to Amazon as well. Very interesting piece in the Financial Times about why they believe from a cash flow basis, it is no Amazon uh, in those early years where it just generated tons of free cash flow, and use that to build the business as well. Some people are saying, oh, yeah, it's the Tesla. Uh, it's equivalent of Amazon as well. Well, the FTP is saying, uh, we don't think so as well. But very interesting to see the stock uh, just losing a bit of momentum. It may just be one tough session for this stock as well. Of course, the very really, uh, Cutting some prices uh, on one of its key models in session as well. Uh, let's have a look at the US futures and where they're currently trading. So, a degree of stability uh, from the US futures today, but that's not going to stop some decent sized declines on the European indices, which closed fairly near the highs uh, of the US session. But we're moving on uh, and, and taking a look at one or two other sectors, including one that we've flagged up to you a few times already, and that is the banks. So, America's biggest banks are set to unveil their second quarter results this week, with Wall Street bracing for heavy profit declines as lenders take out large provisions to shore up their finances. Uh, JP Morgan will release earnings before the bell today, followed by Wells and Citi. Goldman Sachs is scheduled to report on Wednesday... Uh, along with like BNY Mellon, uh, U.S. Bank in there as well. Uh, and later on in the week, Bank of America also uh, reporting numbers. Well, let's get to Bill Smead, CIO of Smead Capital Management. And Bill, really nice to see you today. Brutal markets in some ways. Uh, there has been a degree of optimism from our lows early in the year. But was that optimism misplaced? Good morning, sir.
1: Well, uh, good morning. Uh you know, we actually believe that the coronavirus has exacerbated the latest financial euphoria episode. So we're a big fan of John Kenneth Galbraith's book, A Short History of Financial Euphoria. And what went on with Tesla, what's gone on with Amazon, what what, what is going on with Netflix and many of these other common stocks is they're going up because they have gone up, uh, and and that works great. Much like Cinderella's ball was a, a great party, and there are no clocks on the wall, and we don't get to know when it strikes twelve. Uh, but let me just say this: a friend sent me a note. The la- there are two times in the last thirty years that the uh, that that the the market was up 2% making a new high for the year, and then closing down like this. And the last time was March the 7th of 2000, which in our minds is about three days before the tech bubble broke in uh, the year 2000. So we're, we're, we're firmly in the camp that you need to avoid those exciting stocks that the Robinhood investors are chasing because that by definition is the foolish money.
0: You've been very specific. And I noticed that talking about these herded stocks, the ones that the Robin Hood investors really like, the technology names are all flashy and shiny as well and have that enormous momentum. And and it's hard to disagree with you. But what about the other uh, 80, 90 percent of the market? Because there's a lot of companies there which you've been looking at. I've been looking at Russell 2K companies, Dow Transport companies, energy names as well that have had an appalling time this year as well. Will they go down as well?
1: UBS put out some uh, research, uh, much of it academic, that shows that value is in the 100th percentile of the last 57 years. In other words, the only time that this is the worst you did as a value investor relative to the S&P 500 as any time in 57 years. Uh, So that means at the high point today, it, it, it was the hundredth percentile the day before would have been the hundredth before the high reach today so so we're at extremes uh, so the banks looked very interesting to us because they're in much better financial shape with much uh what much better customer situations both on the deposit and lending side uh, the, the leverage being used in households is way down. The, the corporate leverage is mostly in the bond market. And the, the major banks, the, the Bank of America as well as and JP Morgan's are requiring much more uh, equity uh, in, in their lending. So, so, uh, so we are of the opinion that you're getting financial crisis prices on those banks And if the coronavirus burns itself out and is vaccinated a year or two from now, someone could be very excited about owning these stocks.
0: I hear you, Bill, but is now too soon, given what we're seeing in California, given what we're seeing in Texas, Arizona, key battleground states in many ways, some of those uh, for what's coming up in November as well. But is it too early for our viewers to buy these deep value stocks then?
1: Well, you know, we're five-year time frame investors. Uh, so, you, you know, the answer is the risk-reward relationship is spectacular. The UBS uh, research about the 100 percentile showed that if value stays in the 100 percentile for the next 10 years, you would outperform the S&P. If it goes to 90 percentile, meaning it, it, it only only 10 percent away from the worst, you'd outperform by 28 percent. And if you go back to par, in other words, if value rallies enough to get even historically, you would outperform the S&P by 68 percent. So the risk reward relationship is incredibly compelling. And the beauty of it is we wrote a piece this week calling ourselves the, the boy who cried wolf. What happens is You say this is a financial euphoria episode and you need to defend yourself against it. And then you're early and it doesn't happen. And so by the time the wolf actually shows up, no one believes you and you get deep into the bear market and people will still be buying these things. They will buy the dips all the way down on these these exciting stocks
0: there are other areas of grave concern as well. And look, we know looking at likes of Exxon and others, some of the the former darlings in another era, Bill, that you and I would remember, Uh, the oil stocks, the energy stocks, a very important part of broader American investment, lack of investment, some would say as well. Uh, How do we value these companies at the moment? We're currently trading below $40 a barrel on WTI.
1: Wonderful question. The the Saudis stepped in and they shut down about sixty percent of the production in the Permian Basin and the and the shale world. Uh, and, and now they feel comfortable enough now that Chesapeake Energy has declared bankruptcy to loosen things up a little bit on some of their OPEC partners. But we're we're very bullish on energy. We're our 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 largest purchases. Uh, uh, in the last six months have been in Chevron stock because energy is the smallest percentage of the S&P. It's been any time in the last, well, my 40 years in the business. And statistically, millennials, those people between 23 and 41, who are those ones that are buying the houses in the United States and moving to the suburbs, they're, they're gonna be having kids and, and driving cars and it will be years before there will be enough electric vehicles to, to offset the fact that 90 million adult Americans are going to double their use of gasoline in the next 10 years.
0: We're going to leave it there, Bill. But very interesting couple of points. One, Chevron, I know, is one of the ones you think has got financial strength compared with many in the industry. Two, how come forty years? Got uh, a got me thinking about this. Nineteen eighty-eight, I joined this uh, this strange financial world. Thanks, Bill. Really nice to speak to you again, my friend, Bill Smeed, the CIO Thanks of Smeed Capital Management. Got a few years between us, haven't we? Anyway, uh, coming up later, <laughs> colleagues in the U.S. will speak with the CFO. ...of Wells Fargo. That's John Shrewsbury. Is he a Shrewsbury or Shrewsbury? I reckon he's a Shrewsbury. Uh, As the bank reports its latest results, that first on interview, 2100 CET. And don't miss our interview with the Dallas Fed President Robert Kaplan coming up at 2210 Central European Time. Uh, The US budget deficit swelled to a record $864 billion in June... I'm not sure why that's beach pictures on the U.S. deficit. I, it's extraordinary, isn't it? I don't know who chose those anyway. Uh, as government spending increased and tax receipts fell sharply during the pandemic. I wasn't complaining. I just think they're interesting pictures. Uh, the uptick uh, apparently brings the total deficit, wait for it, for the first nine months of fiscal 2020. What do you reckon it is? Yeah, almost $3 trillion. That's far above the uh, annual high set in 2009. Just another $3 trillion on the national debt. Boom. Have a look at the Asian markets. Uh, they're down. Um, they're good numbers actually on the uh, June exports, um, unexpectedly rising, uh, and good import figures out of China as well. That hasn't helped the markets today. They're Nikkei down a percent. Hang Seng down 1.7%. We've got that news out of Disneyland, of course, in Hong Kong. Uh, Shanghai Composite losing 1% as well. The ASX 200 to my friends in down in Australia. Hello to you all, by the way. Uh, down eight-tenths of 1%. Uh, China's embassy in Washington has said the US is, quote, stirring up the tension in the South China Sea after the Secretary of State Mike Pompeo uh, formally rejected most of Beijing's territorial claims in the disputed waters. Mr Pompeo said China was running a, quote, campaign of bullying against other claim Including Vietnam and the Philippines. Separately, the Trump administration is reportedly set to scrap its bilateral auditing agreement with China, a move which could lead to forced delistings of Chinese firms from US exchanges. Okay, I mentioned the data. Uh, China has posted a surprise trade rebound in June with exports rising 0.5%. Sam joins us with more. Sam, fill us in with the details.
2: Good morning to you, Steve. Well, I mean, mainland markets aren't reacting a whole lot to this pretty surprising uh, trade data out of the mainland today. So when it came to the numbers, uh, imports uh, rose 2.7% for the month of June year on year, blowing past expectations. Analysts polled by Reuters had expected imports to actually fall 10% year on year. So this is a big jump from May's contraction of 16.7%. Um, on the export side of things, that edged up, as you said, half a percent for the month of June year on year. So also better than expected. Uh, analysts were predicting a fall of percent. They were expecting things on the export side to certainly improve from May's 3.3 percent decline, as uh, more countries reopened their economies after very strict lockdowns. But also as China exported more PPE. Uh, but it was that import data, as I said, that was very impressive. This was expected to certainly contract uh, less sharply in June, thanks to more purchases of things like crude oil and other commodities. Uh, also amid this ramping up of infrastructure spending that we have seen uh, in China. So analysts have. Said that this much better than expected headline number uh, does sort of suggest that domestic demand is picking up speed. As we have been saying, investors have certainly been betting on a much quicker economic recovery in China than other parts of the world. Now, China recorded a trade surplus of 46.2 billion dollars last month, smaller than May's 62.9, and also lower than expected. Uh, while its trade surplus with the U.S. Are widened to 24.9 billion dollars in the month of June. So, as I said, not a whole lot of action uh, on the markets. Perhaps some of these geopolitical tensions, as you touched on, Steve, uh, are now weighing on sentiment. Uh, In the latest, as you said, the U.S. has toughened its stance on Beijing's claims in the South China Sea. In a statement, U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo saying we're making it clear Beijing's claims to offshore resources across most of the South China Sea are completely unlawful, as is its campaign of bullying to control them. Of course we know that China claims virtually all of the South China Sea that sees about three trillion dollars worth of trade passing through it each year. China's embassy in the U.S. has reacted to this uh, this morning actually accusing Washington of stirring up tension and inciting confrontation over the South China Sea. But I think the big question is whether this tougher line from the US will actually rein in what the US sees as Beijing's assertiveness in the South China Sea. Steve, back to you.
0: Excellent, Sam. A lot of issues covered. Thank you very much indeed for that. Okay, coming up on the show, fast-track rally. Pharmastox surge as Pfizer and BioNTech's vaccine candidate wins special designation from the US drug regulator. And for more on the latest bout of market volatility, plus the rollback in lockdown measures in key United States states, uh, check out the Squawk Box podcast. The number of global coronavirus cases has crossed the 13 million mark, rising by just over a million in five days. The United States by far still accounts for the highest number of incidents and infections. However, Monday saw it confirm fewer than 60,000 daily new cases. Now, not much of a milestone, but it is the first time we've seen below 60,000 in four days now whilst the death count slowed actually to its slowest rate in a week according to reuters data though the disease is now spreading fastest in latin america california has ordered all bars restaurants and museums to close as the state continues to suffer a surge in coronavirus cases meanwhile california's two biggest school districts of los angeles and san diego said learning will stay remote going into the autumn semester This despite threats by the Trump administration to withhold funding from schools that refused to reopen. So let's get to this BioNTech share uh, story. Uh, The shares in that company, BioNTech, closed over 10 percent higher after the FDA granted its potential, again, potential COVID-19 vaccine fast track status. The German biotechnology firm is in partnership with Pfizer, um, which uh, saw its shares. Uh, settle over 4% higher. This comes as a senior White House official said the drug makers could begin manufacturing vaccines as early as the end of summer. Well, let's take a look at some of the US pharma. As you can see, BioNTech 105 Four, six percent. Let's go to three decimals. Ten point five, four, six percent higher and, and similar for Pfizer. We'll call that one four percent. So let's get to Juliana, who can join us now with more on this. Juliana, I'm very confused about the state of affairs on the vaccine front as well. Um, but one thing I have noticed that I think it's like the top four vaccine stateside. And correct me if I'm wrong, are all get ready, getting the green light or vaccine candidates, the green light to go into mass production way before they're even proved to have efficacy uh, and actually be effective measures against coronavirus as well. Are are we are we going too fast on this one, Uh, actually putting into production a load of vaccines before they've even been proved to be correct?
3: Well, that's absolutely correct. We are seeing drug makers and health officials support this idea of starting production on potential coronavirus of vaccines before we know if they will prove effective. There's huge concern around supply of these potential vaccines should they prove successful. So they're trying to get ahead of the process, ahead of the game here. And that means that we will have vaccines produced that will be useless. But in terms of this story that emerged yesterday, BioNTech and Pfizer, the two companies have been collaborating on COVID-19 vaccine development and yesterday they were granted FDA fast-track designation for two out of four of their candidate vaccines. We've already seen phase one early data on the most advanced of these four vaccines so really shouldn't come as a surprise to the market but we did see some pretty significant share price moves on the back of this. Investors seem to be interpreting this as further evidence that the authorities are committed to pushing these vaccines through. The fast-track designation is designed to facilitate the development and expedite the review of drugs and vaccines to treat conditions and fill an unmet medical need. It would be strange at this stage if a COVID-19 vaccine didn't get fast-tracked. So. It is very early to be putting too much emphasis on this. They are hoping to start the next phase of the vaccine trial later this month with 30,000 participants that will test efficacy and wider safety of the vaccines. And if successful, they can produce up to 100 million doses by the end of this year and 1.2 billion by the end of 2021.
0: Juliana, I don't know if this is a stupid question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, will these pharma companies, these biotech companies, if indeed they develop a vaccine, be able to monetize it, given the huge cost in rolling out such a large amount of the drug so quickly, and indeed the, the idea from many governments and parts of society that this actually transcends profit and actually should just be done something that's done for humanity's sake as well, to open up the global economy, global society, is it a no-brainer that That if you develop a vaccine, given the fact that there are over 100 players out there trying to develop vaccines, that you'll be able to monetize it.
3: Well, Steve, we're seeing um, different drug companies take different approaches here. AstraZeneca, for example, who's partnered with the University of Oxford to produce their vaccine, they said they're going to be producing this at cost. So this is not a profit exercise for AstraZeneca. and They're going to fund the development with uh, the money that they're getting from various governments around the world. So for them, it's not a profit exercise. I think a lot of the pharmaceutical companies certainly are looking at this as an opportunity to restore their reputation, the trust in the pharmaceutical pharmaceutical sector is at an all-time low among the public heading into the pandemic. And we're seeing a real um, potential for change here in the way investors and the broader public think about these pharma companies. But then you've got startups and you've got these more tech-oriented companies. BioNTech, for example, they've got proprietary mRNA-based technology platforms, and they may have a different view here. So it's very early to say at this stage what what this means from a monetary perspective. We are going to be hearing more from the leading companies on the vaccine front in Washington. They're going to be testifying before Congress later this month. So no doubt pricing will come up as one of the key topics here as we move forward.
0: Yeah. And have a think for me what a Biden presidency might do to pricing of broader pharmaceutical drugs for me. We'll talk about that next time around as well, because, I mean, of course, we've only got a November election quite soon. The presumptive Democrat candidate is also doing rather well in the polls at the moment. So it could be a very interesting idea that they just need to, uh, dare I say it, curry favour with potentially a new administration. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve
2: Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.